Hi friends, I'm Beth Davis, the Director of Ministry Advancement for Blessed Is She, and I am so deeply honored to be with all of you on the Shine Retreat. Thank you so much, Jess, for having me. Please know that I've been praying for you leading up to this retreat, and even long before you signed up for this retreat, um, we at Blessed Is She have a, a deep heart for you women in Australia, and I want you to know that our prayers are with you, so it's a real joy for me to be with you, even you know, on a video. Um, just know that my heart is with you, united with you in prayer, united in the Eucharist, especially this weekend on retreat. Uh, so I am so pleased to be able to talk to you today about Jesus, uh, the light who shines in the darkness. But let's begin our time together with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that you're here. We thank you that you're already here, that you are always with us. And we give you room now, Lord. We give you permission to increase the capacity in our hearts and our souls to receive more of you. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to gently expand that capacity right now to receive what you desire yourself to give to each one of us. In a special way, we entrust this time together and this talk to Our Lady through the intercession of Our Lady um, Star of the Sea. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, friends, you know, as I consider talking to you about the light, it's almost impossible not to think about the opposite of light, <laughs> about the darkness. And I was thinking about my experiences of darkness, especially as a little kid. I think many of us can think back and remember those um, early, early moments of becoming aware of darkness, becoming aware of a fear of the darkness. And as I sat back and, and reflected on my childhood, those nights spent alone in my big girl bed, I remember a very precious consolation I used to have glow-in-the-dark stars on my ceiling. And it wasn't that they gave off a lot of light, but they somehow awakened within me this wonder. Just those little plastic glow-in-the-dark stars. I used to take them off the ceiling. They became much less adhesive the more I removed them, but I would hold them right up to the light bulb and get them all charged up and then put them back on the ceiling and I would fall asleep under this neon glow of stars. And in my young heart, I became aware of this mystery, this beauty. It awakened within me a hope, right? That there was more, more to this world, more to my life. It was really a kind of wordless understanding as I laid there under my comforter and looked up at those golden stars, those glowing stars. And I discovered many years later what that more was. 
all of that longing, all of that desire that I was just barely aware of as a little child came to fulfillment when I met Jesus, when I encountered him as a real and living person, someone that I could have a relationship with, someone who knew me and loved me and who I could know and have an intimate, loving relationship with. That was in high school, so I don't know, 10, 15 years later. And the Lord won my heart, particularly in Eucharistic adoration. I became aware that I could look upon him. I could see him, I could touch him, I could taste him in the Eucharist, that he was, in fact, a living God. And, and not some distant, far off God, but very personal. He won my heart and for the last 20 years, I've been intentionally walking with the Lord. And as I look back on those years and as I become more and more sensitive to God's voice in my life, I have noticed that those stars have become for me a signal grace. Stars mean something to me in a language between me and the Lord, between his heart and mine. Stars communicate to me a uh, a mystery, a beauty, a hope, a promise. And I'm not alone in that. If you go back in the Old Testament to our friend Abraham, this is Genesis chapter 15. I wanna share with you uh, the, the beginning, really the birth of the stars as a sign of hope, a sign of promise. You know, Abraham had been promised by the Lord that he would be the father of many nations, but he continued childless. And so I love uh, Genesis 15 because we hear in it uh, the, the intimacy, right? The, how particular, how personal his relationship with, with the Lord is. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. Can we pause right there? I just want to celebrate for a moment how honest Abram was in his prayer. That he didn't try to shine it up, fancy it up with religious language. No, he trusted the heart of God so much that he could tell him how he really felt. And you and I can too. We can be honest with God. If we're disappointed with God to tell God. Okay, let's pick back up with Genesis 15. Uh, but the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord. And the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. You know, some scholars and theologians believe that uh, God asked Abram to come out of the tent and to look at the stars in broad daylight. But even if that's not true, even if he came out in the dead of night and he saw a sea of sparkling stars, how deeply was that promise spoken to the heart of Abram in that moment? 
those little lights, those burning, shining lights hanging in the heavens became a sign of the promise from God's heart to Abram's heart. And it happened because of this intimate, personal relationship with the Lord. And Abram believed God. Abram believed the promise. Now you and I, we've received promises from God. This book is full of promises from God for each one of us, personal promises for each one of us. But how can we believe a God that we don't know? How can we trust someone that we don't know? So I wanna share with you how I discovered and deepened my trust in God. How I discovered and deepened my intimacy, this personal relationship with God. And that is, I became a student of God's nature and his character. That's right, I began to study God. I began to study his nature and his character. Now let me define that for you. So God's nature is his who. Okay, it's who he is. That's the nature of God. And his character is his do, what he does. So I began to pay very close attention to who God is and to what he does. And I began to keep score of that, keep track of that in the scriptures, in my prayer, in my daily life, in other people's lives. And I began to reckon it to the Lord. I began to give God credit for who he is and what he does. And my trust increased and my faith deepened. Now, we have such a beautiful theme for this Shine Retreat. So let's look to the theme to discover uh, one aspect of God's nature and his character. We're going to do a deep dive really on this image of light. So God's nature is that he is light, right? Jesus himself says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Not I am a light, not only I bring light, but I am light. It's who he is. Now, your verse for the retreat, John 1, 5, so beautiful. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. But I want to tell you a secret. I have discovered another verse that has really been the key to unlocking God's nature as light for me. It's very similar to your verse. It's actually found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Makes it easy for memorization, right? 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. <laughs> Let's sit with that for a moment. 1 John 1, 5, God is light. It's who he is. It's not simply what he does. It's actually who he is. And there is no darkness in him at all. It means we're not going to be surprised by what we get with the Lord, right? He's not going to have a bad day. He's never in a bad mood and we're going to catch him off guard and take him by surprise and kind of get the brunt of his temper, his disappointment. No, no, no. He is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. There's no sin in him. There's no anger in him. There's no malice in him. No, there is, he is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That means if he is light, he doesn't turn it 
on and off. He is the light. The light is always on. It's always shining. There's no hidden agenda with the Lord. And let's talk for a moment about his character. What does the light do? Well, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is what Jesus does. He brings light into every darkness, every dark situation in our lives. And yes, we will encounter darkness. Jesus says in John 16, uh, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't shy away from this reality of darkness, but he is the light. And when he comes, he shines a light in the darkness that overcomes every kind of darkness, sin, sickness, shame, suffering, even death itself. Any kind of darkness, he overcomes. He comes as the light, bringing the light, and he shines the light. And when the light turns on, when the light comes in the room, all darkness is cast out. That light is expansive. It covers everything. Darkness stands no chance when it comes to light. We, we see this in the natural world, that darkness does not overcome light. When we turn on a light switch, darkness cannot continue in that room, can't continue to exist in the face of light. And isn't this what we're celebrating? This Easter season is a light that overcomes every darkness, even the darkness of sin and death. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, that mystery, that beauty, that joy and that hope, that light that does indeed overcome every darkness that we will ever encounter. Jesus, the light of the world, overcame the darkness of that tomb and he overcomes the darkness in the tombs of our lives. The tombs that, that we're living in, the, the tombs that hold captive our dreams, our freedom, our hopes. But you know, all of these beautiful scriptures, all of these true things about who God is and what he does, they really don't mean much if we don't experience them personally. They stay theoretical or intellectual if they don't come down into the arena of the heart, if we don't allow God to write these truths upon our heart through experience, personal, tangible experience. So I wanna share with you how I learned uh, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, that he's not a liar, that he doesn't hold out, that he doesn't say one thing and then do another. He's not angry with me. I want to tell you how God taught me, how he's continuing to teach me that in every area where I experience darkness, he will always, as the light, come and bring light. He will shine in that darkness. About 10 years ago, I went to Mass on Ash Wednesday, and I was, as a good Catholic, all prepared to make my Lenten sacrifice. I was very aware that there was a darkness in me called gossip and that I really needed some help to control my tongue. I really needed, um, I needed some discipline in that area. So I had made a commitment. This is what I'm going to do for Lent. But as 
Providence would have it. I went to a mass with a bunch of my students. I was a youth minister at the time. And the priest celebrating that mass was none other than Father John Parks. Now, I don't know if you know Father John Parks, but he is now the Blessed Is She spiritual advisor and a dear friend, but I didn't know him then. That's just another one of those beautiful ways that I can look back, see those signal graces, see God's hand on my life all the way through, even when I couldn't see it, that God was at work. Okay, back to Ash Wednesday, right? Uh, Father Parks, during that homily, suggested that this Lent, instead of doing what we thought we should do for Lent, coming up with our own plan and just telling God what we were going to do, we should ask him what he thought we should do. And that might be to add something, it might be to fast from something, but first of all, to ask the Lord what's best. Because after all, doesn't God know best what's best for us? You see, so often with Lent, uh, with any penances really, we go after the symptom, but God knows the root. And so he just encouraged us to ask the Lord. So I was very committed to gossip, as I said. <coughs> excuse me but I went up I received Holy Communion and I came back and knelt in the pew and I said okay Lord you know and I know that I need to give up gossip but if there's anything else Lord you know I'm willing to consider uh, your suggestion so I prayed and I waited and I listened not with my physical ears <laughs> But I listened with my spiritual ears. I listened in my heart. And very gently, I heard the Lord say, again, not, not with audible words, but in this gentle way, he spoke to my heart and he said, spend time with me every day. Spend time with me every day. And that was the beginning of a very beautiful practice that I have. Every single Lent, I ask the Lord what to do for Lent. That's how I began to pray every single day. That's how my intimacy was deepened with him, how I learned his voice so that five years later, I prayed and asked the Lord on Ash Wednesday, what do you want me to do for Lent? And that year, that year, the Lord said, eat an orange every day. And I thought, that's insane. <laughs> Right? The Lord has, before this, asked me for more religious things, right? Increase my prayer life. But even orange feels like very out of the blue, right? It feels like, uh, what does this have to do with anything? Eating citrus fruit every single day. But, you know, I couldn't get away from it. The more I prayed with it, uh, the more I couldn't shake it. I asked Father Parks our spiritual advisor now. I uh, I brought it to prayer and I just, I couldn't get away from the idea. So uh, on Ash Wednesday that year, I went to Trader Joe's, it's a market here, to get some oranges. And as I put my hand on the bag of little clementines, I felt this agitation rise up in me. I I didn't feel like it was right. I And I didn't understand that exactly. I was being obedient to God's word, crazy as it was, eat an orange every day. But here I am trying to buy oranges and nothing, no peace, right? But I bought the oranges anyway. And as I got in the car and I brought that to the Lord in this 
easy conversation because that's how we can talk to the Lord, right? Not only in our prayer time, but uh, from our hearts, just about our daily lives. I, I just began to relate to the Lord in my car, driving home, bag of oranges on the passenger seat. And I said, Lord, what's the deal? Why, why don't I have any peace when I'm trying to follow your voice? And again, very gently, there was just an understanding. The Lord said to me, uh, the Lord let me know uh, that he wanted to be the one to give me the orange every day. And this caused panic in me, okay? I would say 90% panic, 10%. There was this little flame kind of uh, opening up and, and beginning to burn in my soul, this little flame of hope. Could it be, could it be that God cares enough about me to give me a piece of fruit every day? And part of me with that little flame of hope got really excited for God to prove that he was faithful, for God to prove uh, his providential care and love for me. And the thing is, friends, it wasn't about an orange. It, it wasn't about a piece of fruit every, every day. It's not like I wouldn't eat if God didn't give me a piece of fruit every day. But what this revealed was a deep wound of trust that I did not believe that God cared about me. I did not believe that God could and would provide for me. In particular, this was a tender place around my vocation, my desire to be married, this, um, this longing, this promise that I thought the Lord had made to me and yet I had no evidence of seeing it come to fruition, no pun intended, in my life. And so as the Lord invited me to trust him, that he would give me just a, a simple piece of fruit every day. He unearthed this painful wound of trust, this painful fear that God didn't care and he wouldn't do what he said. But that 10%, right, that little flame of hope, I, I decided, okay, Lord, I, you know, and this is all happening in a split second in the car, all of this wrestling, but I knew it was the Lord because I'd been walking with him every day. I'd been spending time with God every day since I heard that invitation 10 years ago. So I knew his voice. I knew the tone of his voice. I knew the feeling of his voice, not an audible voice, but with spiritual ears, I heard the voice of the Lord inviting me to this adventure, to this deeper hope and faith and trust and love. And so I decided, okay, Lord, I'll wait on you every day. I'll wait on you for an orange. And I'm not going to tell anybody about it because I don't want people giving me pity oranges, you know? I don't want people uh, feeling like they have to provide for me, which actually, now that I think about it, that wouldn't have been that terrible, right? So often the Lord answers us through other people. But I digress. I didn't do that. <laughs> I was really putting God to the test. I drove home with my bag of oranges, my penitential bag of oranges that I gave away in faith that the Lord would give me his orange. And as I walked into my house, I reached into the mailbox. And for the first time in my life, when I reached in that mailbox, I found an orange. My landlord had stuck it in my mailbox, but never had that happened before. And so I thought, 
okay, that little 10%, that little flame, it, it gains some heat. It gains some life, some fire, some energy. And I began to consider that God might actually do what he said he was going to do. And sure enough, every single day of that Lent, he gave me an orange. Sometimes I would be visiting a friend and they would just offer me one. Uh, sometimes, I remember one night, I was at the airport at 11 o'clock at night. I was visiting family for a funeral. It was really an intense time. I didn't get an orange all day. And I sort of told the Lord, no big deal, God. Don't worry about it. I don't need an orange today. You probably got a lot going on. I do, you know. And uh, as I walked up to the counter to buy my bottle of water, there on the counter was a little basket of oranges. One day I was driving to work and uh, I was taking a call before I went in. So I was sort of circling the neighborhood and this pop of orange caught my eye. And by this time now I'm trained, I'm looking for oranges. I'm expecting God's faithfulness. And so I whipped the car around and I saw on the side of the road this box overflowing with oranges. And on the flaps of this cardboard box, it read free. And I stood there on the sidewalk of a stranger's home and I bawled and I said to the Lord, how many can I have? And I heard him in my heart, take as many as you want. I have more than enough. It was such a sign for me. That box of oranges was proof to me that, no, I'm not even going to get one orange. He, he's not going to starve me, right? He's not holding back on me. He wants to give to me abundantly if I would just rest in his providence, if I would trust his heart and quit trying to grasp and scrape and make things happen for myself. He told me the truth on Ash Wednesday. He is the light. In him, there's no darkness at all. He didn't lie. He was true to me. He was true to me. His providence is true for me and it's true for you. And in my darkness, in, in the pain and the doubt, the worry, the despair at times, especially around my vocation, the Lord shined the light. He, the light of the world, came into that darkness and he proves it again and again and again. Oranges now for me, like stars, have become a signal grace. I, I see them, I, I receive them, I understand the language of the Lord. Here in the States, we have a license plate in Florida with oranges on it. And I find I'll just be driving in the car talking to the Lord and I'll sense this doubt or worry. I'll be voicing something to the Lord and immediately I'll see a Florida license plate. It's become a shorthand for me and the Lord, these oranges. And maybe that'll be a signal grace for you too. God would do that. He would make those graces so abundant that they would be for you too. But I promise he has promises for you too. He has signal graces for you too. He wants to bring light. He, the light, wants to come and shine light in your darkness. And I want to help you to become a student of his nature and his character in your own life. So I want to give you a few tips to perceive the light in your own life, to experience the light of the world shining in your darkness. First, light. <laughs> I want you to actually light a candle, maybe your shine candle from your swag. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I want you to light that candle every day when you go to prayer. Notice I said every day. You heard me talk about that Ash Wednesday when the Lord really began to teach me 
the tone, uh, the, the feel of his voice. That's because I spent time with God every day. And so I want that candle to become a sign for you, lighting that little flame every day as you sit down to spend intentional time with the Lord. I want you to be reminded that he is the light and when he comes and brings the light, he will shine it in your darkness, no matter your darkness. Spend time with him every day, light a candle. Next, I want you to learn his voice. I want you to learn how it looks, how it feels, how he sounds. I want you to build a history with God and you do that by reading scripture. And maybe you start with some of the light verses that I've shared here. Maybe it's a gospel that kind of always pulls on your heart, but I want you to learn his voice in scripture. Spend time, especially in the Gospels. Spend time with the light of the world, Jesus himself in the Gospels. And then I want you to lean. I want you to lean back on the, on the chest of Jesus to recline and rest on his heart like the beloved disciple. And I want to recommend that you do that in Eucharistic adoration. If you don't have a holy hour, I want that to be your one thing moving forward from this retreat to commit to a holy hour, spending one hour in his light, receiving his light, letting his light overcome your darkness and lean on him. Leaning on him gets easier, but lean on him in adoration. And finally, to go outside and to look at the stars. Look at the stars and remember the promises he's made to you because he's good for them. Call them to mind now. Come Holy Spirit. Jesus, we trust in you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.